One, two, one, two. What's going on? It's your boy, DJ TLM. You're checking out the Share the Knowledge podcast, episode 46. This is my educational podcast for DJs, where I talk about all things DJ related. And of course, this is my Q&A show, where I try to answer as many of your questions as possible. And you can always ask me questions anywhere on social. The handle is DJ TLM. So you can check me out on Instagram. Hit me on the DM. You can check me out on Facebook. Join the special Share the Knowledge Facebook group. That's hashtag Share the Knowledge. And of course, YouTube, DJ TLM TV. You can leave a comment under any video or on the channel. It all works. Now, today I have a couple of topics, and most are music and recording or performing related. And a lot of the questions will come from the special uh, Instagram post I made a couple of hours ago. I'm going to do that every week. I'm going to post a couple of hours before I record the podcast to ask if you have any questions. Follow me on Instagram. That's the best place probably. That's the first place I'm checking right now. If you're not following me on Instagram yet, DJ TLM on Instagram. I also drop uh, DJ videos, short videos that I can't drop on YouTube because of copyright issues. And up until now, I seem to get away with it on Instagram. I know Instagram has gotten a little more uh, strict when it comes to that. So they are holding back more. And they deleted a couple of things. I remember when Greg Mack passed a couple of uh, weeks or months ago, uh, I posted uh, Flavor in Your Ear just as a tribute to shout out. And that got deleted straight away. So they do have some copyright issues. But most of the times when I post like live footage of me doing something on stage, that stays up on Instagram and on YouTube. That's uh, tricky. So all the info about the podcast can be found on sharethenowledgepodcast.com. Of course, a new episode every Monday. And all my info is on my website, djtlm.com. That's it for the plugs. And that's all the info. If you forgot anything or if you want to double check any of these links, make sure you check in the description box down below for all the information. Like I said, I want to talk about music uh, recording and performing. I got a lot of questions here that are related to that. And I want to start with quality, the quality of your uh, recordings or your music. And I'll relate that to a question I received. And that question was, when recording a mix, is the quality of the mix audio determined by the mixer or just the MP3 files you use? So if I would record a mix using an S9 versus recording one on a Mixrack Pro using the same files, can you notice the difference? So here's the thing. Every step within this process matters. And every step within this process will uh, determine the outcome. So when it comes to quality, of course, it will always start with the files that you're using. Because if you're using bad audio files, so if your songs are low quality, then it doesn't really matter what you use to record. You're never going to get the good quality. So the files you use need to be right. Now, if you're going to record a mix, I would also suggest that if possible, you try and get higher quality files than just MP3. So, of course, MP3 at 320 is pretty good, but it is still a compressed file that does not have the same quality as, for instance, using uh, WAV format. Now, I understand, especially for DJs, a lot of you do not want to have everything in WAV because that will take up a lot of space. That's why the MP3 is so convenient. It's a lot smaller. 
But if you have the option, and I know a lot of times when I record mixes, I don't have that option because I don't have the files as WAV files. So if I do have the option, I will. Otherwise, uh, MP3 at 320, that should be your lowest level. I did a lot of things in the past with uh, 192, but I try to stay away from all of that and get my files at least 320 if possible. So that's where it all begins. Your files have to be a certain standard, a certain quality. But let's just assume for now that the quality of your audio files is in order. That's a great place to start. Now, if we're talking about the device that you're going to use to transmit that, to send that to a recording device, that could be your computer or whatever. But you made the comparison between an S9 and a Mixtrack Pro. Now, the internals of the S9 are higher quality than a mid-level or low-level, in this case, entry-level controller. So the audio output that you're going to get, the quality of that signal is going to be different. Same with mixers. You can take like a Pioneer DJM 900. That is like the club standard, and it has very good audio. But you could get different mixers, maybe a certain Allen Heath mixer, that would even give you better quality. Not all of them, but you have certain mixers that will definitely give you even better quality than your club standard. So yes, that will matter. Not saying that you can't record a mix using a Mixtrack Pro, but you're gonna get better quality if you use better equipment. And you can always check, just check online and compare the specifications if you really wanna know, and then you can tell what kind of converters are in that mixer and uh, what the maximum um, quality is that it has. It's going to be different with an entry-level controller or a more high-end mixer, of course. So that is also a step. But you got to use what you have. So never use this as uh, an excuse not to record a mix. Don't ever say, I can't record a mix because I don't have the right equipment yet. At the end of the day, it will be great to have the best quality of audio possible, but the quality of your mix, so how you're mixing, might even be more important. A lot of people are not paying, unfortunately, but it's it might be in your best interest, a lot of people, like the consumers, are not paying the most attention to the audio quality. Now, of course, if your mix sounds like that, like it's a total mess, that's not going to work. But if it's decent quality, then the listener will enjoy, especially now since most people will be just streaming it. You have to imagine, oh, I'll get to that later on again, but streaming already takes the quality down a bit. But let's stick to the uh, order that I'm in right now. So you got your good quality audio. Now you're going to use a device to play the tracks. That could be a DVS setup. It could be real vinyl with turntables, it could be CDJs, it could be just a controller, it could be a SZ, it could be a Mixtrack Pro, whatever it is that you use, you're going to use something to play your uh, tracks to record a mix. Now, next up, if you're using your Mixtrack, not the Pro, but the Mixtrack, then it's using the audio interface inside your computer because the Mixtrack doesn't have an audio interface, the Mixtrack Pro does. So the Mixtrack doesn't have uh, audio output, if I remember correctly. But any uh, anyway, 
what you use to record on also matters. So if you if I recorded a mix, when I was recording a lot of my mixtapes, I would have an external audio interface that would be connected to the mixer. So I was recording, I was using back in the days vinyl, but after that, of course, DVS, I was using Serato and I would play tracks. I would record the tracks in software on my laptop or on my computer, the studio computer. And the audio would not go straight into the computer because a lot of times the computer would have like this little line input you could use, but I would have an external audio interface to collect that audio. That's going to take the audio and that external audio interface has a lot better quality than the normal audio interface that was in the computer. So, if you don't have that and you just have the computer, then you use whatever is in the computer. Once again, never use this as an excuse not to record, but if you want to enhance the quality, everything helps. Start with good audio, then what are you going to play the audio on, and then next, what are you using to record your audio? So every computer has an audio interface internally, but you can always upgrade that to get higher quality recordings. So that's another step. And an audio interface, a good audio interface doesn't have to cost much. You have nice entry level uh, that will start at, I don't know, 100 or a couple of hundred. For instance, even now I'm recording my podcast and I could take, I did that last week. I do that sometimes, my little lav mic and I use that on uh, external recorder that I have. Quality is pretty good. It works for a lot of my video recordings, but when it comes to the podcast, I would rather record with a microphone like I'm doing right now. In this case, I want to send a shout out to BrainPower. I'm using a V7, but the signature BrainPower series. I'll get back to BrainPower in a minute because I have some uh, dope news about him and a little giveaway for you guys. But uh, I prefer to record with this microphone. Now, to connect this microphone to the laptop that I have right here, I'm also using an audio interface. And in this case, I'm using a very basic one. Now, if you're watching this video clip, you might be able to tell. Let me see if I have enough space right here. This is like a very small unit. This was made by Zoom. I think it's called the U22. That cost me... I think it was 80 bucks or, or 90 bucks or something like that. Uh, I like Zoom. It's the same uh, brand that I use for my external recorder. And this is not a sponsored message right here. I just use Zoom. But I wanted to have a little mobile audio interface that I could take anywhere. So whenever I record a podcast, even if it's on the go, I can have that to connect to my laptop to try to improve the quality whenever I can. But all of those things matter when it comes to recording. So keep that in mind. You use what you have, but whenever you have a chance to upgrade and you want better quality mixes, then you have a couple of things you can look at. What are you recording with? So what are you playing your tracks on? What are you using to connect, uh, collect that audio? So do you have an audio interface, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Uh, I also said streaming, like back in the days when I recorded mixes, I put those mixes on tapes. I had actual mix tapes. And after that, we used to burn mixes on CDs, have your mix CDs. Nowadays, most of your mixes will just be uploaded to SoundCloud, MixCloud, whatever you use. There's a lot of different options out there. Um, people are going to stream those mixes. 
Now you have to imagine you can have the highest quality mix, but streaming is never in that same quality as your recording. They will always uh, compress that and bring it down because if they use that high quality audio file, that's gonna take up a lot of space uh, a lot of the broadband that they use uh, and a lot of people would not be able to stream from their devices uh, if, if they would use that actual high quality file. So they'll, they'll lower it. So what people are streaming is never that same high quality as what you uh, recorded. Keep that in mind. Not to say that you should record lower quality because streams are lower quality. No, you want to try and get as high quality as you can. Just imagine you can have it on streaming services but maybe you want to have a couple of your mixes on a flash drive that you can hand to someone. And it would be dope if that was the good quality that you actually recorded in. So uh, I hope that clears it up a bit. Everything matters, but it all starts once again, and I'll say that just to put some emphasis on it. It starts with the quality of your audio files. That's why it's so important not to rip stuff from YouTube because it's not going to give you that quality that you want. So sticking to the mixtape subject while we're on that subject of recording, I also received a question and the question was, if you're making a mixtape, how do you determine the track list order? Sometimes I want to try to make a mixtape and I'm getting stuck on that part of the process. All right, that's a good question. That's That can be tricky sometimes. Now, my process was normally that I would start by selecting tracks. And I'm going to make a selection that is way bigger or at least bigger than what's going to fit on the mixtape. The reason why I do that is because I know in advance that later on in the process, some tracks that I thought would work might not work. So I want to have enough tracks in my first selection. So I'll select tracks that I think will fit whatever type of tape I'm making. Sometimes it's just going to be new tracks, different genres. Sometimes it's going to be like a theme-based mixtape based on an artist or a label or a certain time frame. But I get my selection of tracks. And once I have the tracks, then most of the times I will take a look at BPM and vibe. So if I do a mixtape and let's say it's a hip-hop mixtape and I have tracks that vary from anything from let's say 75 bpm to 105 i'm just saying it could be anything like that hip-hop is broad when it comes to the bpm now in that case i will probably not start at the highest bpm because starting high and going down a lot of times has a uh i don't want to say negative effect but it doesn't really feel right so if you're starting your mixtape you might want to start at the lower tempo now again 75 might not be a good example because 75 is a totally different vibe when it comes to the bounce so let me take that back let me say i have tracks hip-hop tracks that range between 88 and 107 something like that so now i'm sticking more to what you would find in hip-hop that came out between anywhere late 80s to 2000 and whatever, five, six. So not the bouncy type of stuff that's 70 BPM or 75 BPM. I would start with the lower BPM tracks. They most likely will have a little bit less energy and I don't want to start at that peak as far as speed. So that's my guideline 
I'll go BPM and I'll slowly work my way up instead of starting high and working down. Now, after that, I have to take a look at the tracks and I'm gonna have to see which tracks in my selection actually work together. Because BPM is one thing, but just because they match BPM wise, because they're in the same BPM range, does not mean that they're gonna match as far as vibe goes. And this, I see DJs do this in clubs sometimes too. You can tell that they're just going by BPM and they're really not paying attention to what vibe the track actually has. I can give you 10 tracks that have the same BPM, but will have a different feel. Maybe not all 10 have a different feel, but within those 10 tracks, you might have three, four different vibes in there. And they don't match vibe-wise, vibe-wise. So I pay attention to that when I'm doing a mixtape. This is not a live performance. This is a mix. I can put some thought into it, and I want people to listen back to that mix over and over again. So I want to pay attention to that vibe. So that's trial and error. You're going to take those tracks, and then you're going to experiment to see which ones will work together. Just try it out. You'll hear soon enough, like, okay, this could be a cool mix. Cool. Now, once I have that track, what am I going to use next? Look at the BPM again. I have these tracks. Now, most of the tracks I'll probably know well, unless I'm doing like a brand new tracks mixtape, then I don't have the same familiarity, familiarity with tracks as uh, a little bit older music. But if I know the music, most likely I will already know if stuff will fit together. So that helps. But that's a thing that I pay attention to. I use the BPM as a guideline. Then I take a look at the actual vibe and flow of a track and try tracks together. And if one doesn't work, then I might have to totally skip it. Even if I had it in my initial selection, if it doesn't work with the mix, I got to let it go. And luckily, my selection was large enough, so I'll have more tracks to take that spot. And then I'll end up with a mix where uh, some of the tracks just won't make it in because they won't fit. But at the end of the day, it's all about that flow. I want that mixtape to have a certain flow, a certain buildup, and you're going to have to lose some tracks in order to get that vibe, that flow right. So I hope that helps you out, and that's why it's important to make sure you get enough tracks. And uh, some people might have a different process. So if you're listening and you do a lot of mixes, you record mixes, how is your recording process? How do you look at your track selection? How do you make your final track list? Let me know in the comment section. Let us know. Share that knowledge because people can learn from that. So once again, since we're on the subject of music and quality and recording, this is not about recording mixes, but about uh, getting your vinyl. A lot of you who've been in the game longer will have a vinyl collection, and maybe you just started to go digital maybe you're using dvs now or you want to go to cdjs but you want to bring that music that you have on vinyl because mind you a lot of the music that we have on vinyl might not be available online especially if you look at some of the 12 inches like the b-sides and remixes a lot of that stuff especially if it's a little bit older it's hard to find online or not at all because a lot of the vinyl heads are not sharing online and I truly understand why. So I received a question and the question was, what's the proper way to digitize your vinyl collection without quality loss? What's your method? Now this definitely falls in line with what I said about the quality that all steps in the process play a part in your quality. So in this case you have your vinyl. Now 
I've never done this, but I would add it now because I've seen people do it and I can totally understand that it can enhance your quality. You want to make sure your vinyl is clean. So it could be a good idea to get one of those special cleaning kits to clean your vinyl because I know a lot of my vinyl has been used so many times and every time you touch it with your hands, your hands are going to have some form maybe of oil or lotion on them sometimes or other things. Your hands are not always clean. Uh, you leave a lot of residue on that vinyl. That's still on there. So you want to get rid of that to get a cleaner recording. So you start with the vinyl. That's your audio source right there. Try to keep your vinyl nice. Maybe your vinyl is already in perfect condition, but that's one thing. Uh, then you try to get um, a nice turntable. Now, the turntable itself is probably not the most important thing, but you do want to make sure that you have one that has at least decent, uh, decent internals. So I would go for a good turntable, like uh, not an entry-level turntable to use for this. And you want to make sure you get a good needle. So do some research when it comes to that and don't use any needle because there is a definite, definite difference in quality when it comes to needles and they have a certain type of output, a certain type of frequencies that they can take. That's going to be different. I'm no expert when it comes to this. I was always looking for the needles that would work best for scratching. That's why I was always with either my M447, my Shures or the Ortifon needles, but there is a difference in quality and you have needles that are like even way better than the ones that I use for scratching that were made to get like the best audio quality. So you can do some research when it comes to needles. There's also an option and I'm not going to spend too much time about uh, on that because I'm just not familiar with it, but you do also have the option to use uh, one of these turntables that has USB so you can connect it straight to the computer. And those were made also, uh, some were made especially to digitize your uh, vinyl. So you could look into that. But if you're using a standard turntable and your vinyl, you want to make sure that you get the best mixer you can find so that the audio quality is, again, stays intact or stays the best it can be. If you use a cheap mixer, the quality is going to go down. And then when you have that set up, so you have the good turntable, good needle, clean vinyl, a nice mixer, you send it to a computer to record. Again, you're going to get better quality if you have a good audio interface that catches that audio. So all of those things can help you to improve the quality. So there's a simple way, get one of those turntables with USB, it goes straight into the computer. I think it actually comes with software to record. Um, or you go for that entire setup. So whatever is available to you, but there are ways to get the best quality you can get. When it comes to the recording software, I don't think there's a lot of difference right there. Uh, you could use Audacity. That's free software. So if you don't have software yet, you can use that. A lot of times I was using Audition or I was using Cubase, whatever I had available on the computer. And uh, there's also special plugins or software you can use after you record that can take out some of the uh, pops and stuff like that that are in older vinyl. If you want to get that out, if you want to keep that authentic sound, you want it to sound exactly like it is, then you don't need that. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, and you probably already realized this, it takes a lot of time. That is the main reason why most of my collection is still not digitized because you have to play the entire record. It's not like just copying files or even 
uh, ripping CDs, which is so much faster. I actually bought some stuff on CD to rip it because I wanted it in a digital format and I did not want to spend the time to do that with my vinyl because you have to play the entire albums front to back to get that recording. And either you go track by track and press stop every time or you record an entire side of the vinyl, then you have to cut the individual tracks, save them individually. It's worth it in the long run if you want to have your collection digitally, but it takes up a lot of time as well. So keep that in mind. But again, all of the steps in the recording process can help you to improve the quality. And it starts with your audio source, then what you play the audio on, and then what you use to record that audio. Um, all of those things can help you out. And, and, and very important when it comes to this recording of your vinyl and you don't want to have quality loss, do not save as MP3. You want to make sure you save that in some kind of lossless format or at least like get the WAV format, nice uh, either 24-bit wave or something like that that will give you uh, the quality that you're looking for. If you just rip the audio and you save it as an MP3, you just lost, uh, you just lost a, a pretty big step of uh, your quality already. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Banzoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Banzoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website and that was very easy. Banzoogle plans started just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. Sticking to the subject of your music library, I have a question and the question is, what's the best way to organize your music by genre or BPM? And then there's also a second question, how long should I play a track? Let me start with that first question. I don't choose to use BPM to, to, to organize my, my music because I'll use BPM when I'm playing and I want to search for tracks within that same BPM range. Then in Serato, I'll just click on BPM and have those tracks in order of BPM. But that's not how I select tracks for a certain folder. So first off, I do go by genre. And within that, you have a lot of extra options as well. So within the genre, you might take a certain time frame. So some people actually go by year. You could also go by decade. It all depends on how much music you're going to have in there. But I'll go, I'll go genre and time frame over BPM because BPM is something I can just sort out by clicking. And um, you could also, I don't know how you're playing, but you could also make smart crates in in Serato and in some other software as well that can uh, sort that out for you. But I'll take genre over BPM when it comes to that. But that's me. I know a lot of DJs that do it in a different way. So uh, again, if you're listening or watching, make sure you let us know in the comments how you sort your music if you use genre or BPM or something totally different. Now, the second question was, how long should I play a track? Listen. There is no way to answer that question. And if you're asking that question, you still have a lot to learn about DJing. 
there are no rules for how long you should play a track because that all depends on different things. That depends on when you're playing during the night. If you're doing the warm-up, a lot of times you can play tracks a lot longer than if you're playing prime time. Prime time, there's more energy. Most likely, you're going to play faster. Then again, it also depends on how the crowd is reacting. If I put a track on and they're losing their minds, I may want to leave that track on a little bit longer instead of taking it out too fast. So there is no set time to play a track. So you, I mean, you can ask that, but I can't answer that. That is something you have to learn through experience. By playing in front of people, playing at different times, playing warm-up, playing prime time, playing, being the closer, all of that plays a part. And it definitely also depends on your crowd. I've played in spots where the crowd was only used to DJs who were playing tracks from beginning to end, something I never do. So when I was playing, and I was playing with faster transitions, I shocked that crowd and they were not up to it. They were not feeling it. So when in normal cases, it would enhance the energy, here was the opposite effect. So I had to find a middle ground. And even during prime time, I left all my tracks at least a verse longer because I could tell I was really losing that crowd by going too fast. So you have to pay attention to stuff like that. And that could be different in a different club, different city, different anywhere. So no one can tell you that you have to play this long or that long. I did a video about this on the channel as well. So check out DJ TLM TV. Uh, I think you can actually just fill in how long should I play a track. I, I don't even remember the title, but I'll talk about this. I do have a certain guideline for my genre, what I stick to, but I stick to it until a certain degree. Focusing on the crowd is very important. That's going to be my final decision, uh, uh, my final part in the decision making of how long I play a track. Then I have a totally different question here, and this is a technical question from a DJ in Italy. And here you have, in order to be okay with the law, to declare that you're working and pay about 40% of what you get in taxes. Also, customers that hire you have to pay about 120 euros to SIAE, that's a copyright protector agency. And I know that in Croatia, you only have to have a badge that indicates you're working as a DJ and cost you a certain amount a year as a tax. And there's no such a copyright. Now I'm wondering about the rest of Europe. How does it work? Well, that's the thing. It is different everywhere. And I've, I've told this example before. A couple of years ago, I had a question about DJs needing a license to play. And I was ignorant enough to say that there's no such thing. And quickly enough, I learned through the comment section that there's definitely a thing like that in certain places. So here in the Netherlands, I don't need to have a license as a DJ to go out and play. But in certain countries, as a DJ, you need to pay like yearly to get a license to go and play in clubs. So like you said, it's different in Italy if you have to pay like um, the, the they have to pay for that copyright protector agency and you have to declare stuff. Uh, and then in Croatia, it's different again. So, yes, we have rules here, too, and that's going to be different everywhere. So, for instance, here, when a DJ went to play at a club and you were doing it by the book so you had an invoice and they had to pay you as a dj i did need to have a special 
uh, paper from our Dutch taxes that actually proves that I'm not working for that club. So I'm not one of their employees. I was just hired for that night. And the club needed a copy of that declaration. So when it's time for them to fill in their taxes, uh, they can prove that they paid me, but that I'm not one of their employees. So that was the thing they needed from us, the DJs. So if you did not have one of those declarations, you couldn't play at clubs. Because at first it was no problem. Then the tax agency started to really come down on the clubs. They had to pay a lot of fines. So we needed that as DJs. Now they stopped doing that a year ago. And now as a DJ here, we need to have um, a different type of thing. There's a certain contract that needs to be signed between the DJ and the person hiring the DJ, but they're not really, really uh, inspecting it a lot yet. So I know a lot don't do it yet, but as you can tell, there are certain rules. Same thing with clubs. When I used to organize events at a club, we had to pay a certain percentage of our ticket sales to uh, what we call here Buma, which is also an agency that looks after the rights of artists so that money of our ticket sales can go back to the artists. So there's going to be rules and regulations everywhere. So in your country, when you become a DJ or you want to start playing in public, getting hired, you're going to have to find out what type of laws uh, apply to you there. So I will not ever give legal advice because I cannot tell what's going on in different countries. It's going to be different everywhere, but you have to really uh, take care of that and pay attention to what is supposed to happen in your place for, for you to do business as a DJ. So I hope that helps you out a bit. So we were just talking about digitizing your whole collection, your vinyl collection. Uh, that made me think about when I first started to play with DVS and I was using Final Scratch. And in the beginning, I was bringing an external drive that had like, I don't even remember, but uh, it had a lot of music on, on it, like way too much music for a gig, especially coming from the vinyl era where I was bringing a lot of vinyl to the club, like three or four crates, which is way too much. But I was bringing a lot. Once I went digital, I brought even more and quickly realized that it was just way too much. Uh, bringing more music doesn't always make things easier. But I did find a question that kind of relates to that because it is about a library of music. And the question is, or it's actually two questions. The first question is, I have an entire library of music that I haven't gone through as far as making cue points to know where to mix in and out, etc. But isn't this going to take forever to go through my library to do this? I practice at home with mixing, but I keep having to have to stop to set a cue point for each track because I don't know my music. This makes practice not fun. This is going to take forever. And then there's a second question. Uh, let me just add that right now. Once you figure out your niche as far as the type of music you want to play, EDM, house, rap, hip hop, do all the rules apply to each genre as, uh, as a DJ as far as mixing, dropping it on the one, etc.? I know house EDM is usually about blending longer mixes and messing more with the EQ rather than hip hop. Well, the first comment on that last part, yes, there is definitely a, a difference in mixing hip hop and R&B or house music if you choose to do it differently. Normally, indeed, with house, they would have longer blends. And if you have a longer blend, a longer transition, that gives you more time to do stuff with the EQ. 
you have to imagine if you are blending for 16 bars or maybe longer, that is a great opportunity to start really playing with the audio. That's going to be the thing. The two tracks are playing in sync, and now you have the opportunity to highlight certain parts of one song by enhancing that frequency with the EQ while you take it out of the other one and really form that nice mashup between the two. As far as hip-hop, a lot of times your transition is just to get to that next next track. So you do want to make sure if you have like an eight-bar transition that it sounds good and you do a little thing with the EQ maybe, but after those eight bars, you're on to the next track. So there's a difference when it comes to that stuff. But I do see more of the house uh, DJs incorporate a little bit more of the hip-hop style because uh, they're doing shorter transitions a lot of times now. Now, not all, and I'm definitely not familiar when it comes to all genres, but I've seen more performances, especially with the EDM DJs, where you can see that they definitely are going a lot faster than they used to go when it comes to the transitions. But let me go to the first part again. Now, you already said the most important thing right here, and that is I don't know my music. And that is key right there because you shouldn't have to have a cue point in every track to tell you where you need to make your transition, where your transition should start and stop. First of all, because there's not just one transition point in a the track, there's going to be multiple parts within a track that could be suitable for a transition, a transition that uh, fits phrase-wise. So I have a lot of tracks in my collection that might not have... A, actually, let me take that back. I don't think I have more than maybe three or four tracks where I have a cue point set for where the transition begins. And that was only because I was doing a prepared mix and I needed to go straight to a certain point. When I normally have cue points in my tracks, I'll have cue points at the beginning of the track simply because I want to go to that first marker, first beat a lot of times when I want to do some backspin tricks or something like that. And then I might have cue points at certain parts that are interesting to me. That could be a break. That could be a certain sentence or a part that I know I loop at certain points. And then I'll have a cue and a loop set to that point but I don't use the cue points for transition. You can do that, but that should be more of a practice thing than like a real performance thing. Once you start to know your music, I know most of the music that I play, I know it well. So when you're listening to the track, you already know when your transition point is coming. So therefore you won't need cue points for every track. So you need to get more familiar with your music. Now, granted, you're not going to know your entire um, collection that way, especially nowadays with the digital, uh, how easy it is to get music digitally. You will end up with a lot of music that you don't know well. That happens when you're like either downloading a lot or buying a lot or you're uh, subscribed to a DJ pool and you just pull everything from that DJ pool. You're going to end up with a lot of music and it's really hard to know all that music well. Even if you don't know it well, there's still a certain logic that comes with the structure of music where if you already hear a track for a while, you can hear the structure. You can hear if it's using like four or eight bar phrases, and that's going to give you a good indication of which parts are the right parts to start a transition. Um, let me just look at that question again. So uh, isn't it going to take forever to go through my library to do this? I practice at home with mixing, but I keep having to stop to set a cue point. So the, this makes practice not fun. 
and it's going to take forever. Now, look, practice should be fun, but then again, practice is not all about fun. Practice is the process you go through to master a certain skill. And at certain points, that can get frustrating, should get frustrating, because it's not always easy to learn stuff. If this was all just fun and games, um, then a lot of you would probably not really get any further. It's it's that hurdle you have to get over that's going to make you better. So, yeah, it's supposed to take time. I mean, I know things have gotten easier with, with the tech nowadays, but you have to imagine when it comes to DJs like me who've been in the game longer and who spend hours and hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months to practice to improve, to get better, to start out with like the crappiest mixer and overtime upgrade and keep on practicing and then get in front of people and keep on practicing. Uh, it's almost kind of, rese- I resent seeing someone say like, ah, it's going to take a long time. Th- that's how things work. If you want to become good, you're going to have to put in that time and effort. But especially in the beginning, you shouldn't even worry about having that cue point on every track. You should be focused more on listening to the track, finding out how that structure works, and recognizing that structure in more of your songs. You should not need cue points to tell you where to do a mix. And thousands of DJs, hundreds of thousands of DJs have proven that because we all did it without cue points when we learned how to mix. Keep that in mind. So that's a new thing that came later that you could add cue points. And it's a great tool to use sometimes, but you shouldn't depend on that either. So I hope that really helps you out that you know that you don't need it. And it's very important to learn music, but you can't learn your entire library like that. That's going to take a lot of time. So you're going to also have to take a look at your music library and see is all of this music that I have here music that I actually want to listen to or want to play. Because a lot of people now, like I said, are collecting a bunch of music. And then when you honestly look back at your like external hard drive or your computer, and you have like 200 or 400 gigs of music on there, you're going to see a lot of albums that you never play. You just downloaded them because they were there. So now they take up space and they make your collection look bigger. But if you're not using them and you won't ever play them, you don't really need them either. So... Keep that in mind as well. All right, adding to question one, I feel like I cannot perform at any event until my entire music library is set up with cue points, edits, etc. It's just too time consuming. So again, first off, I resent people looking at it like it's going to take too much time. But I have to add, you're looking at this the wrong way because you do not, like I just said, need your entire music library to DJ. Not at all. So what I would suggest you do is just get a few folders of certain genres. Start with that. And maybe even take a couple of tracks out of that. Start with those tracks. Start with the tracks that you most likely play when you go out to play. Because no one uses their entire music library to play. So you're going about this the wrong way. You don't have to start by getting your whole collection done. You're not going to go out to perform and bring, I don't know how big your collection is, but you're not bringing your entire music collection and going through that, scrolling through that every time you need the next track. That doesn't work. That's what I'm telling you when I started out with Final Scratch. 
I had way too much music and I could see I was scrolling more than I was listening and paying attention. So I quickly realized I got to cut it down and bring less music. This makes no sense because I was scrolling through tracks that if I looked at them, I could tell straight away, I'm never going to play this. This is not something I'll play. So why is it in my folders? You can have a separate collection for listening, but when it comes to the collection you use to perform, to play, make sure there's not all that clutter in there, all that stuff that you're not using. So just to be sure, just to be clear, you don't need cue points and edits and loops and have everything set up for every track. That is not the most important thing. It can help. It can enhance a performance. But if you're just going out and you're playing freestyle, you don't need all of that in every track. So one more thing I wanted to talk about. As I mentioned earlier, I have a microphone right here. That's the SE Electronics V7 Signature Series Brain Power microphone uh, that I use for the podcast. And for those of you who do not know, Brain Power is an MC out of the Netherlands. And I've been his tour DJ and we've been performing together for the last close to 20 years now. And we're still doing shows. Got a lot of shows lined up for this year as well. Right now he's in LA and he just went over there to pick up his Global Peace Song Award. Award. So major shout out to you. Um, that's a new award. They started in 2016, the Global Peace Song Awards, and he won for 2017 in the category hip hop music. And the ceremony was just now. So yesterday. Um, so he won that for a song that he did called All the Same. He did that with a band called Orange Grove. Shout out to Orange Grove uh, band from St. Martin. And the song was all about, well, as the title already explains, how we are, in a way, all the same. So even though we have our differences, we're still all people. And there was a lot of positivity within that song, within that message. So when it comes to that award, they're looking for songs in all categories, all genres that contribute to that positive message. That's why it's called the Global Peace Song Awards. So extremely proud that he actually won that. That's really dope. And uh, I was supposed to do something a long time ago when that single first came out. Never got around to do it. So we're going to do that right now. In honor of Brain Power winning the Global Peace Song Awards for the song All The Same, I have this special All The Same t-shirt that was made. Over here we have nine figures on that t-shirt all different ethnicities but in a way you can tell that they're still all the same all people and of course you're going to get the single so you're going to cop copy the single this and i should have a fridge magnet with that same uh image on there as well i'm going to do a giveaway and if you want to win that little package send me an email djtlmtv at djtlm.com because I don't want to go through comments in different places once you hear or see this. Uh, just send me an email, djtlmtv at djtlm.com. And in the, uh, in the email, let me know why you should get this package. Uh, send me all your info in there as well, where to mail it to. And I'm going to pick a winner uh, somewhere next week. But um, I'll pick someone to send the shirt, the single, and the magnet. So again, shout out to Brain Power. Uh, he got that award and he's in LA right now. Shout out to all my people in LA. And uh, that's it for this week.
I got to go back to work. I got a lot of stuff to do, new videos to prepare for the channel and um, some cool things I'll talk about next week. So thanks for tuning in. This was Share the Knowledge episode 46. You can find a new episode every Monday on iTunes, Anchor, SoundCloud, and a lot of different places that uh, host podcasts as well. So go to anchor.fm slash DJTLM. You can find a list of all the places where you can find the podcast if you're uh, not getting it on Anchor. And uh, if you want to send me questions for next week, you can find me anywhere on social. Like I said, the handle is DJ TLM or check me out on YouTube. If you're watching one of the YouTube clips, I have a lot of DJ related content on the channel. Subscribe to DJ TLM TV on YouTube. Make sure you add those notification notifications, activate that. And um, that's it. I'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.